Welcome to our podcast called Optimizing, Leading Africa's Digital Future. This is Professor Barry Dwolanski. In these special episodes of our podcast, I'm in conversation with experts talking about digital transformation. In this episode, I speak to Mark Harris. Mark has decades of experience leading companies in South Africa's digital economy. He served as head of IBM South Africa for many years and was a key advisor to the Mbeki government. After leaving IBM, he became CEO of Kakhiso Media and then became chief executive of Altron's Nexus Solutions. He has also served as non-executive director on the boards of several major South African companies. Mark, let's start by talking about why digital transformation journeys fail. We've heard that about 70% of digital transformation efforts in companies around the world have not been successful. From your experience, what is it about digital transformation that is so difficult? So I think, Barry, you, you have to start off when you talk about digital transformation as to what that definition is. And what you see across many organizations is that the approach to digital transformation can differ dramatically. So if you take a legacy organization, um, and you know some of the banks in South Africa would be a good example, who have built their technology over... 30, 40 years to get to where they go now, where they are now. Um, for them to try and transform and to build new channels into that legacy is pretty hard. So what they tend to do is to build these new digital assets on the side. And what then happens is there's a huge integration headache. Um, you know, because you can do that and, you know, the chances of success are very low. But also, you know, they don't have a choice because they have to build a customer experience and a user experience that makes the bank what they want to be today. They got to be sexy, easy to engage, uh, you know, one, two buttons in order to sign up or acquire new customers. So there's this new area around CX and UX, which has now been developed. And you then have to build these digital apps, if I can use that phrase, directly as integrated into legacy. And that's the biggest challenge that they then have. Some of these apps don't have the integration capability. And with the result that any form of new digital transformation takes a long time and they don't necessarily start to replace what those traditions are. So they try and run the two side by side and it creates difficulty because the real transformation doesn't happen. The second thing around why these organizations uh, tend to fail is just about people. You know, you've got executives, senior management, IT professionals who are steeped in uh, what they've done in the past and the disciplines that was required in the past. And the reality, this new digital world is a new world, you know, it's, it's fast, uh, it doesn't have the type of application development 
disciplines in the past, uh, you want to roll out functionality as fast um, as possible. So they're almost two different worlds. What starts to happen is that you start to get this resistance um, to, uh, to the transformation projects. And there's a huge cultural change. Many of the guys who built those legacy systems, uh, you will find just cannot change. They, you know, they, they're not going to get involved in the new uh, DevOps environment. They're not going to get involved in taking the risks that you would get in, uh, in today's development, especially internet-based uh, development. Uh, the languages are different. You don't necessarily have the, um, the types of testing processes that you would have had in building legacy applications. So there's this resistance. And so they tend to want to treat digital almost as like a side project rather than transform, transforming the organization enablers who make these things happen. And this goes directly back to how a business development person would see the rollout of new products. So they would see this it takes too long. You know, in today's world, digital uh, transformation, you should be able to roll out new features, new functionality in days, in hours, right? As compared to some of these changes in legacy, it would take six months. It would take two years to roll out a new product. So there's one day's resistance, but also you need the organization to have enough people to be able to start this change and to start to deliver in a world that they can compete as compared to where their legacy was. Uh, so this issue about culture, and it goes, goes all the way from business people who don't understand, who have years of experience in what should be done. Um, you know, I've had a retailer say to me, like, we know to be a retailer. We know to buy cheap products. We have good uh, log logistics and distribution. And we have a very solid brand. And don't come near, why would digital help us? And I think to, to take that to the next level is new entrance is where the blind spot is. So, uh, you know, a lot of it happens in retail, it happens in banks. I think these organizations are becoming more aware of the risk that uh, these new entrants bring in. But you will find on a global basis, these new entrants come in undetected. They tend to be small. They don't have the legacy. They tend to be more specialized. So, you know, they, they, they could come in via a specific fintech um, environment and they disrupt it so they disrupt these huge uh, legacy organizations so mark i can hear you saying uh, or talking about two situations there's the legacy situation where you've got an existing organization that has to transform and then you have what might be seen as a startup where you begin from a clean slate and in its strictest definition, I guess, digital transformation is talking about transforming existing situations. So that's the sort of legacy uh, kind of scenario you talk about. Uh, whereas if you've got a clean slate, it's, it's almost like a startup where you can um, uh, lay down your own systems and bring in your own people to build things as you want. So would you say that a digital transformation is one or the other, or is it kind of both? 
Yeah. Is that but, to say that? Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I, the only thing I would challenge uh, Barry is um, I wouldn't think of it as startup or even something on the side. Mm. I think any large organization has to do both. So, one of the things that I've seen that really works is when they come, uh, companies appoint a chief digital officer, and they give that guy the power. And, and access to the right level of C-suite, like the CEO, and his job is to drive the change. Yeah. And sometimes, you, you know, you'd be amazed. It can be a very small change mm-hmm. that the chief officer gets the, the buy-in from the CEO or the board, and he drives that change, and you see people start to change with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Whereas if he's sitting on the side, you know, and he doesn't have the power to drive those types of changes. So he becomes a change agent for people who are highly experienced and have the industry experience that they've got to their positions over 40 years. And suddenly there's new terms. I don't know what your experience was like, but I had to learn a total new game uh, when it gets to digital, right? The language is different. You know, the way you look at things is, is different. It's not like you used to from an old industry point of view. So whether you're talking digital marketing, if you talk, uh, if you look at the logistic systems about how you distribute, and more and more there's platforms. So you know, and and you don't have to do the other open thing is it's become open. You mm-hmm. can get into digital transformation without necessarily owning everything yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use uh, a Shopify as an example. Um, I've you know I had a great experience recently of seeing a young He's probably 24 years old, do a startup a business using Shopify, um, straight into how he needs to market this, um, not having to worry using the logistics company, packaging, basically it was glasses, packaging the glasses himself. And his uh, growth was phenomenal, right? Just mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal. So, so you can do it, right? And but these guys have to understand. So, you know, the, a guy like that will, will will talk as an example to you and say, you know what, I am using influencers, and you say so, and you say, no, 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 not the big names in in the in the the in the digital space. I use the people who have forty, fifty thousand followers. Um, they look like this, so you can determine whether you're packing the the gen some form of gender. I give them my uh, my product, almost like a trade exchange, and they do a little video and promote my product. And so then the orders come pouring in. Now, you know, this is a guy that's only been running this company for three months, right? You can imagine to make that happen in a large organization, even for many products or one product, is going to be tough, is quite tough. So you need someone who's going to be this change agent He's got to have support of this year. He's got to have support of the board. And he's going to have to drive those changes because it's not a once-off process. First of all, there's a huge learning process for those executives. There's huge learning processes for the specialists. Uh, there's a huge learning process for the IT organization um, before he's going to achieve any form of movement from a transformation. So I think because things are so steeped in legacy, mm-hmm. to answer your question, it's very difficult, and that's why projects fail, because they either can't get the culture fixed, they can't get the change management, they don't have the people driving digital transformation, don't have uh, the right mandate, they're not throwing the resources. 
It also means a change in terms of personnel because the guys involved in general tend to be much younger, mm-hmm. um, they, you know, and, and they don't necessarily work in the same way as your traditional employees. So I, I think that so it's possible, but it's not going to be a quick change and you need to stay the course. And if you've got a good chief digital officer, uh, as an example, uh, Barry, I've seen guys who create a data science team. And, and if they do it properly, they really bring in data scientists. Suddenly, because these people can get to the data, and they can come up with huge business benefits uh, without you being able to see that, even as a specialist in that particular industry. And that starts to drive that type of change. It's a jeepers. Look what they found. Mm-hmm. They can innovate around our product development. It doesn't have to be external, right? Just product design can totally change and we can make far more money. And it hits the bottom line. And then you've got a winner, right? Yeah. But, you, you know, you've got to find those wins. You've got to find those wins in order to be able to get the change to, to, to be taken up at the organization. So, um, and we, it, it um, comes to something that we've uh, discussed before, and it's the role of data within the digital transformation journey. And, you know, people have said that in the modern organization, data is the new gold, and, and everyone who sits in an organization now deals with this challenge of data, how to manage and use it. Um, could you talk a bit about the role of data within the digital transformation journey? Yeah, so, so very, you know, and there's, there's, there's various ways you've got to look at it, right? So um, the fact around data governance is not just about digital. It's a very basic uh, principle, philosophy, science now that is required for organizations. So, I mean, I've known that people just to develop the right KPIs. So if you take a telco as an example, um, you know, there's this thing which they call churn, uh, retention, uh, revenue loss. Um, and, and remember, this affects how you build your customers. So in the end result, it affects the relationship. And it's almost been like a holy grail with very complex uh, application systems being bought or developed in order to help them. But without data governance, it's not going to mean a lot, right? So, so organizations now, even before you get to the digital transformation, are starting to realize that they have to start to put in, the, put in data governance. But let's flip it across. So when you look at, at a, a digital transformation itself, um, you can start a lot of things in digital transformation and you can get undone because you haven't put the data governance and access to data. So, so one of the newer trends you will find is what they call open APIs, right? Um, and it's allowing organizations to fast track their transformation because they're inviting uh, other people into their ecosystem to help them around the transformation. So that's becoming very important. But I think the base is there's a, a, a new level of thinking coming out. So you'll hear some organizations talk about a data-driven organization, right? And that basically says that all the business decisions that gets made will have to be based off data and data-driven. The problem starts before that, however, in that, one, they're not governing the data. 
The second, that's that's pretty important. You don't know if there's, there's bad data. And a lot of the projects you will find that digital transformation fails because the data was back. A good example of that example that I've seen is a product catalog. Yeah. So when you're in this digital world, you better make sure that even things like your project, your product catalog has the correct data, is the pricing correct. It could destroy an entire e-commerce play because you've got the wrong catalog and you can't actually sell or distribute product because of the fact that your product catalog uh, is correct. So it's probably the first step when people think of an e-commerce play. But going back to the data, uh, what we started to see is this the move around data science. Um, the legacy organizations will tell you, we've always had data scientists, but they, they don't really, because it really is becoming a science, right? So you have uh, people talking about data marts and data lakes, and then using BI specialists to extract management reports. But in the new world, that's not good enough. So if you think of Google, you know, Google does uh, advertising in milliseconds around deciding where to place advertising and why. Um, and that comes from the fact that they've got the engines and the data that's real time. So understanding your customer real and being able to do things in real time is pretty important. So I just spoke to a telco as an example. We're talking about the revenue assurance issue. And it takes them, it's four weeks after the fact that they can actually understand what is happening from a revenue assurance because it affects on the monthly bill what they can bill their customer for and are they doing it profitably or doing it at a loss. Whereas in today's world, everything has got to be almost real time uh, because that's where the, the, the new entrants and the uh, some of the larger organizations who have already transformed digitally uh, come from. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Um, and the reality is uh, there's a, a new technology which is called data fabric, right? So data fabric... Is, uh, is a technology that helps you manage and govern your data independent of where the data is stored. It's based off the fact that they have a whole lot of these uh, uh, links defined. So whether the data is sitting in uh, an Excel spreadsheet or it's sitting on someone's desktop in uh, a desktop database, what you start to do is to manage where all that data is. And you'll find it it's incredible that once you've built the state, call it a data fabric, because a lot of people are not yet there, but once they have their data fabric and they make the data then available to the data scientists, the types of use cases they can come back with to help you optimize the business, better customer engagement, better understanding of your customers, using different channels to engage with new types of customers, offering different, I can go on and on, but I think it gives you yeah. a view of if you have the data, what that means. So governing that data and then using these later technologies, including AI, and the basis of AI is basically what data fabric is, mm -hmm. and then start to roll this out to exploit that data on behalf of the business is becoming probably one of the biggest trends. Yeah, so I can see that uh, data should be considered very early in the digital trend, even before you look at other aspects of transformation. Um, a question around um, who, who drives it. So um, um, kind of legacy organisations have sort of legacy roles. You've spoken about a chief digital officer, 
that many, many organizations probably don't have such a person. If you look at a legacy organization, if you uh, look at a big bank or retailer or telco, who in the organization should be driving digital transformation? Barry, you can, I think on, it really depends on the size of the organization. Right? So if, let's just maybe start off with a smaller organization. Small organizations tends to be the CEO or someone is either owner of the business or um, <clears throat> he's in charge of the business. And, 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 and that guy would need, first of all, so for me, before you get to who drives it, do they understand what digital transformation means? And unfortunately, I would say in a lot of cases, the answer is no, right? And they rely on what they know historically in order to drive it. However, there are guys who are, you know, some CEOs. So at that level, you find it's probably at the CEO level. It's just the answer I'm giving you. He's going to have to understand it and he'll see the advantages of it. And he'll look at maybe to grace an e-commerce engine, new marketing channels to exploit. And in today's space, I just gave you an example of someone quite young. You can do that in a smaller business, right? And the interesting thing is when people do that and they suddenly start to see the business benefit, if they do it correctly, that comes through, it's the organization changes quickly, very, very quickly in, 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 how, in how that happens. And then you get to the mid-sized organizations. So in the, <clears throat> in the mid-sized organizations, um, it's very similar. You, you, the CEO will be a key proponent but what you will find, the chief digital officer may come out of marketing because if there's a business process that's impacted dramatically, it is marketing. If you are business today, and, and I think you know, it's almost a, a standard now, people will know the importance of having really good digital brands. They'll know the importance of not just the brand, but having a good catalog. They'll know the importance about targeting. Uh, so targeting specific audiences. They know the importance of watching the data uh, around what they can learn. They know the importance of using different channels. So uh, the point I'm making in those organizations, people appear and they may come because they have some marketing experience. Uh, they can see the impact that digital marketing is having as comp compared to the conventional marketing. And they more or less can become the de facto mm -hmm. chief digital officer in that organization. They themselves will still get that resistance. They'll have the, the manufacturing guys saying, you know, uh, don't talk rubbish. I've been working with the retailers for or somebody for the last 30 years and we know how to supply product. And they're still gonna have those types of challenges um, that exist. But, you know, if the CEO starts to see benefit um, and sometimes they come out of IT, I haven't seen it often, I, I must say. Um, that the, the chief digital officer is an IT guy. Uh, but more and more, Barry, the role of, uh, of higher learning institutions are generating the knowledge that I start to see more in these chief digital officer-like people who understand the transformation requirements and can help organizations. I was part of a, quite a, one of the largest organizations in South Africa as the NED, and the guy, the guy was really good. The guy who was running um, specific logistics and warehousing uh, before, or call it the services, the backend services. Uh, but he was not, you know, digital was not going to change his life. 
And then they brought someone from the US, the South African guy, who had gone through the education in the universities there, who had first-hand experience, I think it was via Walmart, around what that change meant. Bringing that guy then into that organization, the change happened like that, right? So, so this requirement is, you know, yeah, you could find existing people and maybe out of marketing or IT, et cetera, who are willing to go through that change. Uh, very tough, very tough. So, you know, because they themselves would rely on their past experience and they haven't been exposed uh, to, I mean, I went through the process of forcing my marketing exec to be more digitally uh, inclined. And you could see the change as well. It made a, a big difference. And um, and um, I know, and I'll I'll kind of say some of my best friends work for consulting companies. But but many organisations, when they're faced with digital transformation, look around and can't see anyone in their organisation who can drive it, and they reach for the consultants. And uh, what's your thoughts about? That being driven by external consultants is that a good or bad thing? Sam, you you're putting me on uh, on <laughs> the night. So, so so Barry, I've seen I've seen different ways the consultants can can work. Right, I personally um, having to look at consultants around digital transformation and the price tag they put on the table because there's a lot of work. Mm not affordable as a CEO of a group company at the time. So I looked at it and I said, like, I, I, the number was like 400 and something million to get this done because of the, the amount of things that needs to be done. So, so if it's just a strategic look and should you build an e-commerce, should you go digital marketing, should you use Facebook and all that stuff, you know, how do you build a UX and CX? Because most organizations don't even stand understand that what type of customer data what type of internet data can you do you use to understand your customers better are they complaining about you through twitter or there's a whole thing around whatsapp marketing now etc so so all of that stuff is it's quite a lot and and they can help you at a higher level that says here's a framework around what you need to do to go through the digital transformation but the cost is in the execution not in the strategy so to answer your question, unless you're really going to throw lots of money at it, um, you still need an internal capability to help you get there. And I'm I, not seeing yeah. the consultants do an end-to-end transformation, even in a small organization. Yeah. And I guess that the uh, downside as well as a consultant, no matter how good that consultant is, they're not going to understand your business as well as someone internal to the business will understand it. So there is yeah. that sort of gap in in terms of, and I do, I mean, just also skating on thin ice, but I think consultants tend to apply a, almost a one-size-fits-all. They've got methodologies they come with, and it's, it's, and it's often true that every business is unique and the consultant is, might not pick up those nuances as easily but, uh, yeah but I, I do think it's gonna get better Barry where uh, I think I think some of the consultants will come in at risk yeah. and it's just a customer acquisition mm. and 
say, um, for you to drive your digital agenda, you need a customer, you need to acquire 2 million customers uh, for your new bank. Uh, we will they do that at risk. We will guarantee you we deliver. And they will have platforms and they'll have the skills and in order to do it. And, and it could work. I haven't seen them do that yet. Yeah. So they tend to want to give you a strategic advice and then customers have to try and execute it. And that's where normally they eat some bumps in the road. Yeah. Um, the, the, the course that this is part of is called a digital transformation life cycle models. And it's, it's looking at a life cycle and life cycles have uh, various stages you go through and and the life cycle we're putting forward in this course is an iterative and incremental life cycle so it it kind of goes through steps that it then repeats so it starts with a step called understand where you under, try and understand what the objectives are for that iteration you then um, have a step called innovate where you look at an innovative approach to whatever, to your business, your marketing, whatever you're focusing on that step. It's then implement where you would pull together the technology and the people and everything you need. But then the final step is a continuous improvement step where you would say, we've got to this point, we now do it all again on, mm-hmm. on another part mm-hmm. of the business. Uh, one of the criticisms I've seen of um, the approach people adopt is that they don't do that last step, the continuous improve. So people sort of uh, focus in on doing something and then they tend to want to rest on their laurels and say, we've got to this point, let's just leave it there. Um, how important is that conti- to drive continuous change rather than just do a change and be satisfied with that. So I think there's two answers to that, Barry. I think if if I had to look at digital transformation, if it was not disruptive, then you know it's 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 going to be a question mark. Mm. Where in that cycle, the life cycle you're describing, um, I would say it's not as disruptive as doing something totally new and radical. And then the continuous improvement play is going to be there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so process, continuous improvement process should be there. So, so I really think it depends on the environment because you know, some of these, some of this, the good thinkers in the innovation space and uh, thing will, will totally disrupt certain Value chains, as an example, that just said, stop, don't even do it. So don't look for continuous pro- improvement on your existing stuff. Mm. Let's go out and do something new. So I don't know if I'm answering the question. So I think this this two. So in that case, it's not going to be important. But I think anyway, from a sound business principle, the continuous improvement principle is always going to be a science in your organization. Because once you disrupted disrupted something, you within that space that you've disrupted, you're going to need the continuous improvement processes uh, uh, again in order to keep that disruption current and uh, being able to deliver the value that that you're looking at. Great. Um, I just want to conclude with um, giving you the um, scenario that we have been 
using in this course. And, and it's a, an, a, a fictitious example of a legacy business that um, um, is about, um, um, it's a retailer that sells equipment and supplies for home industries. And, and home industries, everything from brewing beer to making jam and biltong to knitting and sewing and everything that people do at home is a legacy business that goes back hundreds of years, I guess. And um, the idea of having a chain of stores around the country where people can go and buy their um, home industry supplies and equipment. And it's uh, built on a culture that's very much in keeping with that home industries community. So, uh, you know, you sort of drive into town if you, don't, if you live in a smaller part of, in a rurally area, and you go to the home industry store and you'll have some ginger beer and a cookie and talk to the staff about what you need and go off with your, your pack of biltong spices or whatever. And this um, hypothetical business is 100 years old. It's run very well. It's been a family business. And a new chief executive comes in and says, digital transformation, we've got to transform. And she basically puts forward this um, strategy, very radical strategy, to, to, to digitally transform this business. If uh, you were faced, if, if uh, you were a consultant and, 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 and that business approached you and said, we, we, we uh, have to digitally transform, how would you go about dealing with a, a, a sort of legacy business like that? Can you? Yes. So, Barry, the interesting thing, you know, as you were talking about the digital business, um, there's always like a benchmark to an equivalent type of business, right? So let me just paint that picture for you. And that's what I would do for them, right? I would ask them if they knew about the how-to models that you now have on the internet. And it covers everything. How to make jam, how to make biscuits, how to pack. It covers, you, you can just find anything you want to know. How-to is a how-to uh, thing associated with it. The second part to that is the education side. So the amount of content that sits on YouTube or anything, fixing motor cars, you know, whatever it is, uh, would disrupt. So the disruption is already there in a number of, of, of things that could, could go through. So I would ask them to look to differentiate as to they have this things in the past. What, what makes them differentiate? And what do we need to do to keep the differentiation? So it may be customer contact. You know, people may want to go into the stores to look at the cakes or to look at the biscuits. But the reality is that, and I and I have, personally, I have a friend who had gone through this exact example. And, and he used to do most of his selling on reference, face-to-face, to make the equivalent, the rusks. And it was like 20% of the rusk that you would get in the home industry or wherever else. And, but it worked for him. He had a small rural business. And then he discovered Shopify. Mm. And as long as you get your, your marketing and your, uh, your, your thing correct, 
you suddenly have access to markets that you don't need from a face-to-face. So I would challenge them about those stores and saying, what, how much more could you do if you had this digital brands still keeping your differentiation mm. and what that would mean? I think that makes sense. Yes. So I, w- I would go through and what that supply chains would look like that obviates the need to be to go into a store to acquire. And you could do, I mean, I, I'm going, I can wax, I'm trying, I'll go wax lyrical just for a moment because there's so much that could be done, right? You could uh, create really specialized brands that people link to, whether it's vegetarian or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, health or whether it's female. I mean, there's so many of those mm. lines that if you did the right, digital alignment, you would be able to drive your product sales more so than a tiny sitting in the counter uh, offering you stuff in the store. So that, I don't know if I'm making sense, but that's where, I would, that's where I would go. Yeah. And I think that it is that kind of um, to look at what uh, differentiates one and still try to do that in the digital world, but um, to accept that 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 classical legacy business isn't going to last because uh, it, uh, um, uh, precisely what you've said, the, the, the how-to and the e-commerce, and um, eventually that business will collapse. It can't stay yeah. it is. So they have to get um, ahead of the game and find ways to to differentiate themselves. And that yeah, and unfortunately that's already happening, you know, even locally very yeah. well-known brands of chutney or whatever doesn't survive uh, because the newer ones can come through. And, you know, the guys are getting smarter, right? I've just seen this influencer marketing and alignment to things that are very topical, you know, whether it's save the planet, you know, uh, et cetera, about how these things get made, et cetera, uh, where the the ingredients come from, when they get that right, they just people follow it, right? Mm. They just who follow that stuff. And you need to understand what people are following, what are they looking for, mm. and bring into what your products are that yeah. you try to put out there. And there's the the, the thing of success. Yeah. It's and I guess it it could take a sort of local business and make it global. So that's the other huge opportunity. That exactly. Exactly. Um, so thank you so much. I think uh, we, we've covered very important uh, topics, uh, some of which are picked up in the course, but I think this really adds a, a, a dimension of the real world to what the course has covered. So um, thank you so much, Mark, for your time okay. and for listening to this. And um, I think that uh, people will... Um, kind of really get great value listening to what you've said. And I'm going to ask you offline to uh, suggest maybe one or two topics or things for people to read, and we'll add that to the reading list for the course. Absolutely. Thanks, Barry. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to a special episode of the podcast Optimizing Leading Africa's Digital Future. 
This special episode was produced and presented by me, Professor Barry Dwolaski. Music for Optimizing is composed by Callum Cool. Logo designed by Evan Wick-Dorovitz. The companion website is www.thegrandgeeks.africa. Optimizing can be found on all popular podcast platforms.